Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We're joined in uh, this portion of our program on the fan, Sports Radio 66 and Sports Radio 1019 on this uh, Sunday morning. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. And on our program, uh, the Joshua Friedman He leads the world's largest network of emotional intelligence practitioners and researchers. Now, some of you are saying, what? What are emotional intelligence practitioners and researchers? Well, that's part of what we'll find out in the course of our discussion. Joshua is the author of three books, Inside Change, At the Heart of Leadership, How to Get Results with Emotional Intelligence, as well as The Vital Organization. Uh, He is joining us uh, by phone on our program. It's an appropriate uh, chat because he's got information he's going to share with us. He's also the CEO of Six Seconds, which we'll find out about in our discussion. Good morning. Welcome to our program here on The Fan. Good morning, Bob. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for uh, joining us. You're joining us from the uh, West Coast, so it's rather early for you on a uh, Sunday morning. We do appreciate your time. Early, late, you know. (laughs) Depending on how you look at it, right? (laughs) Exactly. Well... I mentioned this term emotional intelligence um, in introducing you. What exactly is emotional intelligence? Well, if we think about mathematical intelligence and we say, you know, somebody who's smart at math, what do they do? Well, they, they notice uh, numbers, they are able to pick up mathematical data, and they can use it. Well, The same thing is true with emotional intelligence. You can pick up emotional data, feelings inside yourself, feelings from others, and you can use it to solve challenges. Now, when did this awareness or realization (laughs) take take place, (laughs) dawn in your life? Well, I was teaching in a school where emotional intelligence was a big part of the school. And honestly, I had no idea about this area. I I was a humanities teacher. I was teaching, you know, history and writing. uh, But I started to see that when um, students really focused on understanding themselves and each other, and when I, as a teacher, was expected to pay attention to um, my students as people, uh, that our 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 relationships were really good, but also their academic performance was better. And that got me really interested in, in, in learning more about how all of this works. And it turns out there's a huge amount of research and science behind this idea that we can learn these skills of being smarter with feelings, and it makes a tremendous difference for kids, for teachers, for parents, and for managers and, and athletes, by the way. When you say that there's a tremendous amount of research on this, how far back does this research go? In other words, when did this first start being examined? So in 1990, there were two uh, professors, uh, a a guy from Yale and a a guy from the University of New Hampshire named uh, Peter Salovey and Jack Mayer, and they published a paper, uh, which is the first academic paper 
talking about the idea that we could actually be smarter with feelings, meaning emotions could help our cognition. And, I mean, there have been a lot of people talking about this for, you know, back to Plato, uh, about, like, we need to use our emotions effectively. But these guys had this breakthrough idea that emotions could actually assist our thinking, and they showed in their labs that by training uh, our capacity with emotions, we could reason better. It's, it's not, you know, we've all experienced that emotions get in the way of our thinking, but these guys found it's actually possible with just a little training to have our emotions help our thinking. And when you say that there's been thoughts in this area, no pun intended, um, going back to Plato's time, that might surprise some people. Well, I, I think uh, I think it was Aristotle who said uh, we have to, you know, to be angry is easy, but to be angry with the right person uh, in the right amount at the right time, that's really hard. <laughs> You know, and um, a lot of the ancient Greeks uh, and, uh, uh, and, and and some Roman uh, writers also talked about the idea that, you know, we have to uh, learn to work with our emotion. And, uh, I mean, of course, there were others who said, you know, rule your emotions lest they rule you. I, I don't remember exactly which one said that, but one, 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 of, uh, one of the ancient uh, Romans said that. But... It's, uh, you know, there's kind of been this, these two approaches, uh, I guess, for time immemorial, that either we should get rid of emotions or we ought to work with them. And since uh, our biology <laughs> doesn't let us get rid of them, I guess we ought to learn to work with them. When you talk about the fact that this kind of a way of looking at emotions and how we deal with them can be useful for those in so many different areas. And, you know, you gave us a number of different examples. Let's start first with a lot of parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles listening to our discussion today. Let's start with young people, yeah. with children. How can there be a better handle, I guess, on emotions and when looking at this through the microscope of emotional intelligence? You know, it's, uh, I think it's really easy when they're young uh, to, to understand how important this is. And you think about kids on their first day of school. I mean, I, I, it just feels like five minutes ago that mine were at that age. And, and I think almost every parent can see you know, this, this sort of bundle of emotion that, that is our kids at that age, you know, and we really need to pay attention to that. And if we don't pay attention to that, they're, they're not going to do a lot of learning. And um, they get older, and somehow we stop paying attention to it. Um, but, the, you know, the, the, the truth is still there, that emotions drive us. Uh, you think about um, high school kids. Um, I have a uh, one of my colleagues, her son just started high school uh, last couple, three days ago, uh, four days ago, and um, you know he was really scared and he was really excited and he was really hopeful and like all this mix of, of feelings. Uh, he's carrying that in with him, and every other kid coming into school is carrying all of these emotions. And if we simply say, "Oh, let's just ignore that," you know, let's just pretend like that's not there. We're kind of missing a really important part of what makes people people. Uh, on the other hand, if we start t 
tuning into it as parents, as teachers, as, as kids, saying, hey, these emotions are real and they're part of what is shaping my experience and part of what's shaping how I think, uh, part of what's shaping what my motivation, um, where I pay attention. I mean, like, did you know that the function of emotion is to direct our attention? No, I didn't. You think about that in the classroom, right? So just, Bob, imagine you're standing on a cliff, okay? Mm -hmm. And you feel a little scared. Well, that fear, its purpose is to direct your attention to say, hey, look, don't step over the edge, (laughs) right? It causes you to focus on the problem, on the risk. And it motivates you. Maybe it motivates you to step back, or maybe it motivates you to move slowly or, you know, do something, check your harness. Uh, but it's, it's there to protect you. Uh, and that's true with all of our feelings. Our feelings are signals about opportunities and threats, and they direct our attention and they motivate us. So you think about a kid in school. Well, we want that kid's attention directed in useful ways. And we want that kid motivated in useful ways. So, wow, emotion ought to be a big part of what we're paying attention to. All right. As you're saying that, and by the way, I'll keep what you said in mind when I leave here and go to take the one of the New York City subway trains and get, <laughs> keep that in mind as the train is approaching the track. Uh, the, the idea of this being useful for kids in school can be applied in a lot of different ways, I would think. And one of the ways that we naturally have to talk about in this day and age is dealing with this whole issue or concept of bullying yeah. that, that is so widespread in our society and especially is such a big issue for kids. How can yeah, this... a, third of, a third of kids report being bullied in school. Isn't that incredible? It's, uh, it's actually, I think, tragic. And... Um... I think it's a really a betrayal of uh, the, 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 this trust that we have uh, and this opportunity that we have uh, to do something good for kids and to, to fulfill the promise of education. Uh, it's just not okay that that's the reality. So for kids, for their parents, how can they get a better handle on this idea of their emotions when bullying is so prevalent? Well, it's interesting. You know, there have been a lot of uh, projects to try to reduce bullying. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, most of them don't work very well. Um, one of the most powerful solutions to bullying that you know, research has found you know, in terms of what's effective, it's actually not saying don't bully it's saying let's increase kindness. And when students feel a sense of uh, caring and compassion, when they perceive that they have the ability to go and add kindness in their uh, environments, uh, bullying goes down. So, you know, if we get this, uh, if, we, if we think about it, like what could we actively do? How do we engage students in, in, in making a difference? It's not saying, you know, don't bully. It's saying, what do we need to do instead? What we need to do instead is create compassionate, strong relationships. We need to have students feel a sense of belonging and connectedness, which, by the way, we can measure in schools. 
and you know we measure all this other stuff we ought to be measuring uh whether students feel that sense of connectedness and caring in in their school and that should be just as important as any other thing we're teaching in school you know i didn't ask you at the beginning of our discussion we're talking with joshua friedman on our program on the fan i mentioned you're the ceo of six seconds what is six seconds well we're a global not-for-profit organization we do research and advocacy about uh, emotional intelligence and we're called six seconds because emotions as a chemical the actual biological signal of emotion lasts in our brains and bodies for about six seconds so these little six-second windows of opportunity where we have this information and energy to harness. And anytime we're feeling something for longer than six seconds, at some level we're, we're, we're choosing that feeling. Maybe not consciously, but uh, we're recreating those feelings over and over and over. And we have a lot of choice about how we feel. Mm. And if we can um, take ownership of that choice ourselves, if kids can learn to do that, if teachers are doing that, if parents are doing that, it has a, a very powerful effect on how we all uh, work and live and learn together. Is that a difficult thing, though, for kids to learn and to grasp? Well, it's, it is and it isn't. I mean, starting at a very young age, kids can learn to be more aware of feelings and more intentional with feelings. And um, we've seen lots of studies that show that when kids start to develop these skills, uh, bullying goes down, violence goes down, dropouts go down, drug and alcohol use goes down, and academic achievement goes up. And this is a big deal, I think, because a lot of times people think, oh, we don't have time for, you know, this sort of touchy-feely stuff in school. We've got to go to the basics. Well, first of all, I'd say there's nothing more basic than the relationships that we have in school. Uh, but in addition to that, spending a little time on paying attention to emotions and developing social-emotional skills, it improves academic achievement. There's a nationwide study looking at uh, over 213 schools, uh, thousands of students, and they found that when there was an effective social-emotional learning program, program in place, SAT scores went up 11%. So it's not an either-or. You know, it's like this is, this is a kind of secret sauce. It, 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 it helps kids uh, do better both in life and in achievement. Joshua Friedman talking with us on our program on The Fan this Sunday morning. We're talking on our program on The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and Sports Radio 1019 on FM with uh, Joshua Friedman. He has joined us on our program. We're talking about this uh, topic of emotional intelligence. Um, We're going to get into other areas of discussion. We've touched a little bit on on, uh, bullying. Um, We'll talk about school violence, obviously also get into talking about uh, teen suicide, which is another uh, thing that basically I think is almost at epidemic levels, and yeah. um, some of Joshua's thoughts um, in that area. He is CEO of Six Seconds, which is a global nonprofit that he's discussed with us. He's the author of three books, and he's joining us by phone on our program. Very kind to be doing that since he's in uh, Pacific time. Now, when we talk about 
the idea of stress. Mm-hmm. And stress, whether it is in the classroom or at home, how can emotional intelligence be a tool in reducing stress? So what, first of all, we need to understand that stress is an emotional reaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's, it's something that's happening emotionally. And really all stress means is that we perceive the problem to be bigger than we perceive our resources to be. And it's a signal to say to us, hey, we, there's, you know, there's something in front of us that's big and, we, and maybe threatening and maybe problematic, and I don't, I don't have the resources I need to deal with it. Um, so there's an emotional component of stress and there's a rational component of stress. And, and the rational component is understanding, okay, how big is this problem really and how do I get more resources to deal with this problem? Uh, the emotional component of stress is reducing our own reactivity and um, soothing those shouting voices in our in our heads and saying, okay, I'm going um, to increase the peace on the inside. That's going to help me actually deal with this uh, challenge. And uh, again, interestingly, um, there's a strong correlation between uh, emotional intelligence levels and uh, the ability to cope with stress. We've seen that with students. We've seen that with nurses. Uh, we've seen that in, in a variety of professions that it seems like um, kind of emotional agility, um, one of the benefits of that is it helps us cope with uh, complex feelings like stress and uh, increase our capability to handle that complexity. What about for those who work like in areas of law enforcement and the like. It's a lot of people who work mm-hmm. in that area, uh, listen to this station, listen to this program, especially at this time of the morning on a Sunday. Uh, you know, people are in potentially very stressful uh, yeah. situations, and they've got to make crucial decisions and sometimes, you know, life or death decisions in seconds. Yeah. You know, one of the big problems with stress is... Uh, you know, and particularly if you're, for example, a cop in a uh, on a dangerous beat, you know your your adrenal system becomes activated and it's staying activated, and you start treating things that aren't really dangerous as if they're dangerous. And this is one of the biggest problems with with stress, particularly for people who are, who do spend a lot of time in in actually dangerous situations. Um, we did a big project with the U.S. Navy and Marine Corps. And, you know, it's a a huge challenge there, people coming back from combat, for example, or even not in combat, but just around it. Uh, They have a hard time uh, kind of switching off this stress response. Uh, In just sort of everyday population, you know, not talking about people who are suffering from something like post-traumatic stress disorder, but just, you know, all of us, when we're in highly stressed situations, one of the key skills for us to learn is to reduce our uh, stress and anxiety levels uh, when we're out of the immediate danger and to learn to differentiate between what's uncomfortable and what's actually dangerous and to treat things that are uncomfortable as, you know, as merely uncomfortable and to say, okay, let me, you know, let me approach this as, as, as something that's just a challenge versus something that's actually dangerous. And you know, our brains actually treat 
uh, discomfort and danger in very similar ways. And uh, it's a very important emotional intelligence skill to be able to differentiate between those things. For parents, learning and also teaching EQ at home, Yeah. how do they go about doing that? Well, I'd say one of the key things is uh, to practice these skills ourselves. So, you know, I'm a dad, and uh, my kids are great at pushing my buttons, <laughs> and I have two teenagers at home. Say, say no more. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so for me to learn uh, how to uh, respond instead of reacting, me to learn to take that little six-second pause and say, okay, I'm going to think about this uh, I'm going to acknowledge what I'm feeling. I'm not going to just push that aside. I'm going to acknowledge what you're feeling. I'm not just going to push that aside. But I'm also not, uh, I'm not just going to react. Um, we all have patterns that we follow. And, for example, one of my patterns is when I feel scared, I attack. And, you know, it's just it's something we've, we, we've each learned, these different ways of reacting to, to various stimuli. And our brains form these patterns. So when my kid, uh, I think, you know, he's like resisting doing his math homework and I start thinking, you know, oh, no, he's never going to graduate from high school. He's never, you know, he's not going to, if he can't even do his math, you know, what's going to happen? And there's nothing I can do about it. I start getting into this fear-based reaction. And I um, maybe make the problem bigger than it really is. And I start taking it personally. And I um, will frequently, you know, <laughs> probably overreact <laughs> and uh, say something that I later regret. And so for, you know, I think the most powerful way for us to teach our kids emotional intelligence is to role model that ourselves. And, you know, ideally to avoid that kind of behavior. But if we do mess up, which we all do, to be able to say, look, here's what happened. I'm sorry that I overreacted. I'd like to try again. Um, and can we can we talk about this mm-hmm. and do better next time? And, and for teachers mm-hmm. in the classroom, mm-hmm. how can they make for a better environment for learning? So there's an interesting study where they um, just gave kids 10 minutes to write about their um, feelings before they took a test. This was in the uh, uh, Journal of Science. And um, just 10 minutes of writing about their feelings before they took a test, the kids' test scores went up. Now, there's something interesting there about acknowledging, acknowledging what's going on inside, saying that's something that's real, that's something that matters. We don't have to spend a long time on it. I, we don't even have to spend 10 minutes on it. Like kids come into class, you take a couple of minutes to transition into the class and say, you know, how are, how are you guys feeling? What's going on? How is your day so far? What's something that's challenging? What's something that's going well? You know, before a math class, it's, it's just having this acknowledgement of your person and your emotions are significant. Uh, it's one of the basic skills we encourage teachers to practice is doing this check-in process. Um, we can be a lot more complex and a lot more sophisticated, but that would be a great starting point. Um, another thing that is pretty powerful for teachers to do 
is to ask questions that personalize learning and that connect the learning with the student's real experiences. And this is a good practice just, you know, in general for teachers. But instead of saying, you know, uh, why did the Civil War start, you say, well, if you were one of the leaders of the country uh, at this, you know, uh, year, how would you have made a decision? Why would you have decided what you, you know, decided that? Um, or, um, you know, what do you see in your own neighborhood that makes you think about, you know, X, Y, and Z challenge? The, the point is to connect the students to what they're learning in a more personal way and invite them to, to bring their own emotion into the conversation. In other words, you're making it relevant. You're making it relevant, but you're making it emotionally rich. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the president of Six Seconds, Annabelle Jensen, who's a, a, a professor of education, she says, stir emotion into the soup of learning. Hmm. And it, it activates your brain in a different way. What a great line that is. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Bob, I wanted to tell you about, you know, since the, the, the station is uh, focused on sports, I thought, your listeners might be interested in a study we did with uh, retired NFL players. Please. So we, we had a, a guy who is a retired NFL player uh, interested in emotional intelligence. And he, got a, uh, he went to one of the national conferences, and he got a bunch of about 36 uh, retired NFL players to take an emotional intelligence test. And uh, what we found is that for NFL players, there was retired NFL players. There was a massive correlation between their emotional intelligence skills and how they were doing in life. So the questionnaire about life had to do with things like um, health, well-being, not doing drugs, staying out of trouble with the police, uh, having good relationships, and then you know, and we measured their emotional intelligence and compared those things. And uh, what we found is that. Uh, there's about a 55% of the variation in those, that life success is predicted by their emotional intelligence scores. Hmm. By the way, we also found, unfortunately, that these uh, retired uh, professional athletes, uh, their quality of life in, in those topics I talked about, you know, like not being depressed, having good health, not being involved in violence, having good relationships, not being addicted, their scores on those were uh, about 15% uh, worse than the general population. So despite these guys having been, you know, really uh, stars, they, uh, 5, 10, 15 years later, they're struggling. And the ones who have higher emotional intelligence, they're doing a lot better. The voice of Joshua Friedman talking with us on our program on the fan this morning. Uh, Joshua is the author of three books. He is the CEO of Six Seconds, which is a global nonprofit um, dedicated to emotional intelligence. That's our topic, emotional intelligence. Um, I referred to it earlier um, by the acronym of EQ. Uh, a lot of people probably hear EQ and they automatically think of IQ, of intelligence quotient. Yeah, when and we you, measure it. We measure it in a similar way to in, in an intelligence quotient. Well, between the two, realistically, <laughs> which one is more important? Well, you know, I think if you if you 
uh, are not going to have, if you're only going to have one, <laughs> you can have, you know, no IQ, uh, you're, you're probably also going to have really low EQ. There is, they're actually correlated. They're, they're not opposite of each other. But, I mean, let's just think about who you're going to hire for a minute. Okay, so you have a, um, you have a, 20, you have a couple 25-year-olds, and you're going to hire one of them to become a uh, salesperson. All right. So, are you going to hire somebody who's, you know, uh, great at, uh, you know, quickly figuring out math problems and solving logical puzzles, or are you going to hire somebody who's great at uh, figuring out relationships and uh, motivating himself and connecting with others? Well, for a salesperson, you know, I think we're going to go with the EQ. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're hiring somebody to sit alone in his room and, you know, code computers, well, you know, maybe maybe what you want is IQ. But I'll tell you, I, I, I'm out here in Silicon Valley, and we have a lot of super high IQ people uh, who are clients of ours and uh, working with some of these huge tech companies. And the reason they are calling us is they're saying, look, I've got all these people who we hired because they had high IQ, but they're not doing well, and they're not succeeding. They're not being able to manage others. They're not being able to lead people. And what I hear a lot of is, could you teach our our people to be better people people? More with Joshua Friedman as we continue in our program on The Fan this Sunday morning. Radio.com. We're in discussion with Joshua Friedman on our program, talking with him about this topic of emotional intelligence. As I mentioned earlier, Joshua is the author of three books. He's the CEO of Six Seconds, which is a global nonprofit organization. Before we pause for our update and messages, you were telling us about the fact, you know, you're based in the Silicon Valley area in California. And you get these calls from these major corporations. They're asking you to teach high IQ people to be better people people. Don't you find that amazing? It's exciting, actually. I mean, uh, (laughs) you know, there's a growing recognition. Uh, You know, Google does a lot with emotional intelligence. So does Apple. We do some work with Intel and Microsoft and you know, and these really innovative companies are saying, look, we, we need to develop these skills. The other thing I would say is that in terms of competitive advantage, like if you're a young person and you're saying, well, you know, how am I going to stand out in the marketplace in the world? How am I going to uh, get and keep a job? And how am I going to advance in my career? We know that uh, the higher up you go in your career, the more emotional intelligence matters. And there's a very strong relationship between EQ skills and career advancement. So if you want to become um, a senior manager, you want to become an executive, or if you want to be an entrepreneur, these skills are even more important. Joshua, when I mentioned earlier about the topic of school violence, yeah, you know that gets those two words get everybody's attention and. The post-Columbine mm-hmm. era, obviously, uh, in this country. How can school violence and perhaps the levels of this occurring in our society be addressed 
by the topic that we're mm-hmm. exploring in this discussion. So I think, you know, when we read about people who are going into schools and, and shooting, um, there are a number of characteristics that we've seen over and over again. They're isolated. They're uh, bored. Uh, they don't have a sense of uh, who they are. They don't feel a strong caring and connection with others. And what's interesting is that a lot of those, a lot of ingredients of, of, of that profile uh, are very much connected with the skills of emotional intelligence. And you think about, like, what if we could teach people to understand themselves better, uh, to appreciate who they are, uh, and to connect with and appreciate others? And what if we could teach people to create relationships where people felt more belonging? Now, that would immediately uh, eliminate uh, the, the large part of the, the, the profile of uh, people who are going in and committing these acts. Um, I, you know, I, it's, it's terrible that this is happening. Uh, at the same time, I think it's not, you know, it, it's shocking, but in some way it's understandable. Like you have these young people who are bored and they're isolated and they're angry and they feel helpless. And, you know, this seems to be what's happening in our society as a way of, of dealing with this, uh, you know, tragic uh, experience that they're having. Well, getting a better understanding of emotional intelligence, can that help not only those who are in schools, um, those who are working in the healthcare field, but also even those people working in areas like law enforcement, perhaps help them in getting a better handle on how it is that we address this, because this is really at epidemic levels. Yeah, it is. Um, I think so. I mean, I don't have enough research to say, yeah, you know, like if police officers learn these skills, there's a a causal effect on violence. But I think it's uh, um, from police officers who I have uh, worked with and talked with, I think it's pretty easy to, to make the case to say, look, if you're on the pointy end of the spear here and you're somebody who's um, working to address uh, these challenges, and that's, you know, and, and, and you're in that situation every day, you really need a lot of capability uh, to, to understand your own emotions and manage your own emotions, but also to help the people uh, you're working with understand themselves. And um, one of my team members is a school counselor, and she and I were talking about this recently, about, you know, what if all of the people who are connected with kids in a community had more skills for uh, really helping those kids feel that they're cared about, uh, to feel that they're uh, connected, not to feel so isolated. You know, and it, it, it just seems to take one person to make that connection with a kid. Uh, and, you know, this is research says that 
people who become resilient, people who overcome adversity, it's generally speaking, they had one person or one uh, avenue to escape from the sense of helplessness. It just takes one relationship, you know, one conversation where a kid can feel like, wow, this person really gets who I am and they really care about me. And that one relationship makes a tremendous difference in, uh, in people's lives. So, you know, whether you're a police officer or a teacher or you know, a bus driver, any of us uh, can forge that kind of connection with another human being uh, by paying attention to who they are and valuing them for who they are. But, you know, if we're caught up in our own anxiety and fear and stress and frustration and impatience, it's really hard to do that. Can the same thought process, what you just said, be applied with this other issue that I raised mm-hmm. of teen suicide? I was just speaking at a, a middle school um, with parents and, and students. They asked me to come in because the, the this particular middle school, um, you know, so 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, this middle school has kids going on to a high school where there have been a number of incidents of, of teen suicide in the last few years. And the parents and kids and teachers are all scared. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of finger-pointing going on, and that I don't think has ever solved a problem. But what I um, started with, with this, with this uh, group of parents and teens, young teens, 11, 12, well, 13-year-olds as well as 12- and 11-year-olds and their parents, I asked them um, about trust and what would happen if they could increase the level of trust so they could have more conversations. And um, it was fascinating to, um, to talk to these young people and, and parents together. I asked them to anonymously um, pass a piece of paper up to the front of the room with some of the things they're scared to talk about. And we typed them up on the list and put them up on this, you know, 20-foot screen in the front of the room. You could kind of hear this, like, almost gasp as these, these you know, words start showing up on the screen, including suicide. And um, what I would say is, you know, the most important thing that we can do for our kids is establish a, a trusting relationship where we can actually talk to each other. <laughs> if we can have that a sufficient trust that that conversation can occur, we're going to reduce uh, the, the frequency and severity of uh, self-harm as well as a whole range of other problems. Now, it's interesting that you phrase it that way because the first step is, you know, being open to even bringing up the discussion. It's so hard. And there were these... Um, you know, parents in the room with, like, 11-year-olds. And um, several of the parents afterwards said to me, you know, I was so scared to just to even talk about suicide with my kid. And (laughs) several of the 11-year-olds said to me, I was so scared to talk to my parents about this. You know, but that's when we need to be talking about it is, you know, before it's a a crisis. And... um, you know, I just say that given that this is what's going on in so many of our communities, you know, kids are seeing it. 
and they're they're afraid and they're they're afraid of becoming teenagers they're afraid of going to high school and you know am i going to be um am i going to be one of these kids am i going to be um somebody who feels so isolated am i going to be somebody who's so lost am i going to be somebody who's bullied or if one of my friends is what am i going to do and that's i mean unbelievably difficult you imagine being uh in that situation where you're you're not sure um what's going to happen in in your community in your life as a as a young person you really need support you really need to feel connected mm. final thought with you in our program you're very kind with your time Joshua Friedman talking with us on our program here on the fan your students those you've worked with mm. over the years how would they do if they were tested on emotional intelligence? <laughs> well, it's a range, you know. Um, uh, I'll just I'll tell you about my own kids for a second, because uh, I actually uh, my own kids have taken uh, the uh, youth emotional intelligence assessment that we published, and what I've seen is they have some areas of tremendous strength, and they have some areas of weakness. And with my two kids. The strengths and weaknesses are very different. And one of the things that was really valuable for me as a parent was uh, being able to talk to them about those strengths and weaknesses and for my wife and I to be able to talk about it and say, wow, you know what, what our daughter really needs is X and what our son really needs is Y. And um, we both need to rally our own resources and, and develop our strengths so that we can help our kids uh, develop strengths that they need. Joshua, I want to thank you very much for joining us on our program, sharing the information that you have. For those who are interested, we've mentioned the uh, nonprofit Six Seconds before in our discussion. By the way, Six Seconds is spelled out S-I-X and then Seconds, S-E-C-O-N-D-S. How do you find the organization on the web? Yeah, just go to, um, um, like you said, Six Seconds or the number Six Seconds. Uh, you can go to sixseconds.org or sixseconds.com. Either one will work. It'll get to the website. And there's uh, tons of articles there with suggestions and tips and um, lots and lots of free information for people who want to learn more about emotional intelligence for themselves. Um, we also have another website called eq.org. And on eq.org, there's some free e-learning courses. There's a, a course for parents. There's a course for teachers. Uh, we don't have one for police officers yet, but, you know, it sounds like maybe we should. But there's uh, there's now a, a lot that we have available to help people get started for free. And, uh, you know, I really encourage people to go check out both of those sites, 6seconds.org uh, and eq.org. Thank you very much for joining us on our program. Certainly the best continued with your work. Thank you so much. I appreciate uh, you taking the time to talk about this important topic. Joshua Friedman shared an awful lot with us in our discussion. Thank you very much for joining us on our program. Rick Wolf Sports Edge follows our 8 o'clock update, and Ed Randall's Talking Baseball is along after our 9 o'clock update this Sunday morning. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.